So we're switching gears. Uh, we've been going through First Timothy, um, I think for the past few weeks. I haven't been here a while, but um, so we're switching from New Testament to Old Testament, First uh, Timothy to the book of Judges. Um, what's awesome, though, is the similarities, right? Um, God stays the same. The state of the world kind of stays the same for the most part. You know, thousands of years pass, but sin is still there. Um, death is still there. Um, and it's interesting, the similarities, because this has been in my heart for a while, as I've kind of been wrestling with, you know, I guess, you know, today's culture is kind of worse than it used to be, you know, and we're, we're going on a dark path. It's, it's worse than it was 50 years ago. Um, but I think the comfort is that um, perilous times are always around us. We're always in perilous times. So the church of Ephesus 2,000 years ago was struggling with the same issues that we're struggling with today in 1 Timothy. Um, and 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 3 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having the conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods from which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Sounds like a culture today, yeah? Kind of? So it's interesting, 2,000 years ago, same issues, right? And it's encouraging because 1,200 years before that, judges and, and that whole time period, I would say, was even far worse than it is now. Um, and that's comforting just knowing that um, God's redemptive story is never over. Um, and God is always looking for that man or that woman to work through and do something awesome in the culture. Um, and that's constant. Um, the Bible says that God's eyes look to and fro, just back and forth across the whole earth, um, that he might find someone on whose behalf he can show himself faithful. Um, and that's powerful, that every age that doesn't change. Um, so in the midst of a you know, grueling election and world events happening and all this craziness, be comforted in that God doesn't change, um, even though the chaos of the world is all around us. Amen? That's an awesome thing. <clears throat> I've also been going through Ecclesiastes in my um, own time with the Lord, and there's just, just, just the idea that a generation comes and a generation goes. Um, kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, we're struggling with those same issues, you know, that, you know, people were before us. <clears throat> so be watchful, fight for the survival of your soul, for your family, for your community, um, but don't lose hope. Amen? Don't lose hope, don't lose heart. So the context of Judges, um, and God's been convicting me on this, is this thing called the sin cycle. Um, it's 350 years, that's the period of the book of Judges, and what happens is Israel... Um, goes from rest to captivity um, over and over again, you know, several times. And I, if I were God, I would be pretty tired of it, you know, by the third or fourth time. But so it starts off, if you imagine like this circle diagram, it starts off with Israel just in this resting period. Um, then it starts with Israel getting a little too comfortable, right, with the world, and they get rebellious. After that, it's captivity. The enemy takes them and takes them captive um, and seizes their land. After that, it's repentance. Israel realizes, oh, I'm in a bad place. God, help me because I've got myself into this mess. Repentance. After that, it's deliverance as God raises up the judge, and then it's rest again, and then we do the whole thing over again. Um, and that's a lot like our lives, and God's been just, just grueling me. Like, he's not been condemning me, but just revealing to me that that's the state of our world, um, and that we're constantly in this, in this sin cycle. But besides the condition of man, um, the main point of tonight 
Um, even though the book of Judges is depressing, to say the least, just seeing the sin of man. Uh, what makes the Bible so great is that in every terrible situation, there's an awesome picture of God's redemption. Um, and if you'll notice, throughout every book of the Bible, there's never a, bo- a book of the Bible that's just completely hopeless, right? Probably the most, if, if any book deserves to be labeled hopeless, it'd be Job, right? And that book has an awesome ending. Um, even though God didn't explain, like, specifically why did all this happen, it was so awesome because God redeemed it and restored to Job all that he had and more. The remarkable thing about God is that he's always looking um, to, to demonstrate his love and his character through a couple people. And all throughout the Bible, there's different characters. You have Abraham, you have Daniel, you have Ruth, Ezra, Nehemiah, Elijah, Esther, John the Baptist. Um, Jesus himself handpicked just a few men. He charged a few people, men and women, um, with the most important message in the history of the world, right? Jesus is alive. That's the most important message. Um, and he did that with a few people. And with that in mind, we're going to study Gideon tonight um, and just kind of see, um, literally see through the eyes of God. Um, that God doesn't see how the world sees, and God doesn't see one person how everyone else might see him, and it's really powerful. Um, and what's cool about God is that <clears throat> in every situation, um, he doesn't see what's on the outside. In the sense of First Samuel, like God sees on the heart. Uh, no matter how old or young you are, weak or strong, smart or dumb you are, whatever it is, right, God sees your heart, and that's what he loves. Um, as we'll see with Gideon, God sees what you might become and not just who you are. God sees not just your weaknesses, but he sees how he can flip that upside down and make that into a strength. That's awesome. That's what our God does. That's his redemptive work and power. Um, and God doesn't stop at just seeing who you are. He takes you by the hand and leads you into a greater life with him. Um, he gives you a new name, a new identity. You know, the Jacobs of the world, the deceivers of the world becomes the Israel, um, which means God, may God prevail. Um, the sinners become saints, and God flips this broken world upside down. Um, when, he, when he saves us, when he redeems us. So with that, we're going to get into our passage, and I'm going to pray us in. <clears throat> I'm going to read like a couple verses at a time, uh, and then we'll, we'll take it piece by piece. But Lord, we need you. God, I'm a, I'm a weak and, Lord, ultimately simple-minded man who without you, God, has no hope, Lord, no purpose. God, there's no wisdom apart from you and from your word. So, Father, would you speak? Holy Spirit, fill every heart in this room, Lord, and I pray for just a profound feeling of empowerment, encouragement, and mission, God, like we've never felt before. Lord, that through your word, you're able to send us out, God, that those who are complacent would be not complacent anymore, Lord. Those who are lazy, Father, would no longer be apathetic, but um, God, just on fire for you, Lord. Those of us who are afraid, God, that that fear would dissipate. Father, it's not in your character, Lord, to inhabit a place and for that place not to be radically changed. Lord, it's not in your character, Holy Spirit, to be in someone's heart and not completely change them. So God, would you do that tonight, Lord, as we just delve in and dive into your word. Um, change us, and uh, God, change us for the better and empower us, Lord. We love you. Bless this time. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. All right, Judges, chapter 6, verse 11. Verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which is in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite. 
while his son Gideon threshed wheat and winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Remember that, that's important, in order to hide it from the Midianites. Verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. So I love this because God doesn't just say, don't be afraid, right? He says, mighty man of valor. And as we'll see in this passage, Gideon was anything but a mighty man of valor. That's important. Keep that, keep that in the back of your mind. Gideon was afraid a lot. And it's, it's pretty funny because the first thing God sees him doing is hiding wheat, right? And I imagine God kind of having this whole, thing, whole spiel ready, going to tell Gideon what he's going to do, give him his mission. He shows him, he's like, the Lord is with you. Oh, Gideon, you're hiding wheat again. You know, just like this, I don't know, but I imagine that might have been how it went, but God isn't surprised by things, but it's just, it's like I laughed when I first read this, that we see throughout the past that Gideon is not a courageous person, but God names him otherwise. And that's awesome. So keep that in the back of your head. Um, for some reason, I don't know why, I've been really into Lord of the Rings lately. Um, I might get fired because Pastor Rob doesn't like Lord of the Rings. I don't know why. Because um, I love them and I think they're cool. Um, but my favorite ca- character by far is Gandalf. Um, Gandalf the Grey. Because I think of anyone in the movies and books of Lord of the Rings, Gandalf portrays the character traits of God the most. And I'll explain. So there's these little creatures called hobbits, if you haven't watched Lord of the Rings. Um, and they're pretty, you know, they're, they're pretty purposeless, pretty, uh, they're not that smart. They're small. They're not strong. Um, no hobbits. They have hairy feet. They're kind of weird looking. Um, they're not warriors. They're, they're kind of just, uh, eat and drink and party. And that's kind of all they do, uh, in the Shire. And what's awesome about Gandalf and he is, he sees that and he's like, man, I'm going to make that guy a hero. Like he comes up to Bilbo's house. He says, Bilbo, you want to go on an adventure? And Bilbo's like, no. I really don't. I like my house. Um, but Gandalf kind of like, it's funny how he manipulates him to get out the door and go on this adventure. Um, but it's cool because the heart of Gandalf is to pick people who would otherwise have no purpose. Otherwise, you know, no, no one would give him a second thought. He takes these people and he puts them in awesome places and give them a, gives them a mission. <clears throat> and it's, this is important because Later in one of the Hobbit, I forget which Hobbit movie, um, but later Gandalf's talking about this idea of power um, and what really keeps the darkness at bay. And he's talking to Saruman, and he says, or sorry, he's talking to Lord Elrond, one of the elf kings. And he says, you know, Saruman has this idea of power as it only comes if you're mighty and, and powerful and strong. But Gandalf says, but I have a different perception of power. I, I've noticed that it's it's not in this, the big, grand, uh, you know, things that people do. It's in the little acts of kindness. Um, it comes from the, the little people who, who aspire to do big things and, and uh, simply desire to make a change. Um, and if, if God chose awesome people to do his work, it's true that he would receive less glory. And, and in 1 Corinthians 1, it talks about how God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, the weak things of the world, um, to put to shame those that are mighty. Um, and God does this. And Zach's used this analogy a few times. I think he probably last time he used it was like a year, year and a half ago. Um, but it, imagine God is a coach of a volleyball team. And God <clears throat> is putting together this team together. Um, putting together this team together. So he picks, so, <laughs> so, 
So he picks 12 guys, right? Six guys on, six guys off on the bench. I don't know how it works, but that's okay. Um, so he picks these 12 guys. Imagine they're all like pros. They're just the best volleyball players around. All six foot eight. Um, they're they're you know, 220 pounds. Um, they have an epic vertical. I don't know what a good vertical is, but it's pretty, you know, like four feet or something. So they're awesome. And if they win the championship... No one's going to be really surprised. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, the coach had awesome players. Like, of course he won the championship. But if the coach decided to find, like, the shortest, worst athletes, most lazy people he could find to put them in a team of 12, and he trained them, and he grew them, and he challenged them, and they got up to championship, and they won it, who would receive the glory? The coach would, right? And he would receive way more glory than if he had this um, if he had it made with this awesome team. And that's kind of this whole <clears throat> picture, that's what God does with us. Finally got past the metaphors. Into the eyes of God, that God doesn't see a weak person. He sees, God thinks this, that I can make you into a beautiful creation that can do awesome things for my kingdom. No matter where you are in life, no matter how bad you are or good you are or something, God sees you um, in a, in a greater light than anyone else possibly can. And Pastor Rob talked about vision a couple weeks ago in First Timothy. I, I listened to a particular message, and it was awesome. It was about raising the next generation with a vision and an understanding that they can change the culture and should be leading those around them towards Christ and reconcile every area of society to him. But the problem is most, most young people and most people in general, aren't, they're not really aware that that's possible. Um, and obviously the biggest problem is that there's you know, a lot of non-Christians that don't understand, but a lot of them are Christians who haven't been given vision, um, for whom no one's really seen them through the eyes of God. That no one's really seen them as not just you know, people who, you, know, you got to go to school, do your homework, um, uh, obey your parents, and do all these things like this, this, and this, um, which are important things, obviously, but who've never really been given second thought that this person, this little kid, can do something awesome for the kingdom of God. Um, and even my generation, um, as I, I just see every day as I go to Channel Islands, people losing vision. Like, we've lost vision for what God wants for the world. Um, we've lost our vision for what our, our country, our city should look like. We've lost vision for what um, the gospel can do in the world. Um, and I strongly believe it's because of a lack of discipleship. And God created discipleship because he wants us to empower others. And this is something else, another Lord of the Rings analogy. I've always been so frustrated at Gandalf because he's so much more powerful than he makes himself out to be. And like, they're surrounded by a bunch of orcs and he pre- it's like he pretends like he can't just knock them all dead right there, which he can, but he doesn't do it. And I hate it because he can. Um, and it's so frustrating, but I realize God does the same thing. And like, we've all, we've all struggled with that question. Like, God, why don't you intercede here? Like, why are you allowing this to happen? Like, I'm surrounded by orcs, right, and evil, and you're not doing anything. Um, and what's cool about God slash Gandalf is that, <laughs> um, is that Gandalf, the, his whole purpose is to empower people to take back Middle Earth from the enemy. Um, because if he does everything for them, right, what do they really learn? You know, how do they really grow? How are they really taught um, or sanctified? And the same thing with us is that people need to be empowered. And God knows that, and, and that's his heart in discipleship. 
So let's get back to the verse. So it says, God, the first thing God says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon had yet to do anything to earn this title. In fact, he probably did everything to not earn this title, right? So Gideon had yet to do anything for God, right? We don't hear about Gideon before this passage. He, he hadn't done these amazing feats. He hadn't conquered armies. He hadn't proven excuse me, that he was a fearless warrior or anything like that. Gideon had yet to do anything to earn God's favor, but God simply gave it to him because he sees in you what other people can't see. God sees in you what I can't see in you. <clears throat> and that's amazing to me. That God chooses seeing as something greater, and God is a visionary. He takes your greatest weakness and flips it upside down into your greatest strength. And I love that about the Lord. Verse 13 says, Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our father told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned and said to him, Go in this might of yours. I love it. Just totally doesn't answer the question. Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Now, what's the obvious answer to that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the question is, God says, have I not sent you? And of course, God has sent you. He sent every one of us. Um, and I think it's a fair rewording of the question um, that God says, I am with you, right? My Holy Spirit is with you. So why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you doing anything? So are you willing to be sent? And I don't think a, the problem with most of us is a lack of faith that God can do everything he says he's going to do, right? I don't think it's a lack of faith that, you know, I don't really think God's as powerful as he says he is. I think for, if we were to take a survey, I think everyone would say here that theologically, um, intellectually, we believe and understand that God is all-powerful, right? That he's all-knowing, that he's everywhere at one time, that God is awesome and he can do whatever the heck he wants. And that's true. But I think, and I believe this, I believe God's given me this, that the problem with us is that it's not a lack of faith in God, it's a lack of faith in me. It's a lack of faith in God to do something through me. Verse 15 says, I'll touch on more of that later, so I don't sound heretical. Verse 15 says, so he said to him, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. So basically, God, you got the wrong guy, you know? Like, I know me, you know, and that's not me, right? I know me, and what you've, what you've been saying, that's not me. That doesn't really resemble me at all, God. So thanks for your time, but I'm not interested. <clears throat> so we all know that God can do anything, but faith comes into play most powerfully when we believe that God can do what he says he will do through me and through you. That the, chief, <clears throat> that the chief conduit through which God works is people, right? That God, that's how God accomplishes his purposes. Ephesians 3, I love this verse. Ephesians 3, verse 20 through 21 verses says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Cool, right? Notice that? According to the power that works in us 
To him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Gideon's complaint is, God, why aren't you doing anything? God, why is the world the way that it is? God, why are you allowing all this evil in Israel? Why do you allow hunger and poverty? God, why do you allow sex trafficking? Why do you allow slavery? God, why have you let our country go? God, why have you allowed abortion in our country? Why do you allow a transgender bathroom bills? Why do you allow these things? And God is asking us the same exact questions. That the same things that we doubt God in, he's turning to us and saying, because I've empowered you to do it. That I've given you my spirit. My spirit is with you. So go and do something about it. That God is not limited when he's working with sinful people. That's important to understand. As a matter of fact, uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 12, 19. We all know the verse that God, God Jesus said to Paul, and Paul is struggling over a, a vice he had. Jesus says, my power, Paul, is made perfect in your weakness. So it's not just that God you know, gets by with your, with your faults and your, your mistakes. It's that God uses that more powerfully than he would use a perfect person. That's what God does, and it's amazing, and that's how he sees us. Verse 16. And the Lord said to him, Gideon, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. I love that. I love how specific God is. You know, first, it's mighty man of valor. You know, you could do this, Gideon. You're afraid, but I'm with you. And he says, you can defeat the Midianites as one man. And this is how it starts. It's not, <clears throat> we're so prone to look at other people and ask them, why aren't you doing anything? Right, that's what, that's what Gideon said at first. He said, God, why aren't you doing anything? You know, or why aren't like, you know, why aren't other people doing anything? It's, we always look to other people when we ask that question, why is the world the way that it is? But it starts with you. It starts with one man. It starts with one woman. It starts with a couple people. It starts with 12, right? It starts with one man who has enough faith um, to believe that his wife can have a baby when he's like 100, right? It starts with one guy or woman, and God, God works with one person. So it's important that we change our thinking that it's, it's, not, it's not, you know, with them. The problem isn't with, with you know, her or him. The problem isn't with my spouse. Um, it's not my kids who need to do something, um, it's not that other party, you know, that's, that's wrong. It's not that other people group. Um, it's not those Christians who aren't voting. Um, it's, it's not that church that is teaching the wrong doctrine. It's not your pastor or church leadership. It starts with you. Um, it starts with you having a faith to stop complaining and to take God at what he says and say, God, you give me your spirit, like empower me to do something, be a change in my culture. Restoration begins with you, with an individual. Verse 17 says, Then he said to him, if, you, if now I found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from me here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And God said, I will wait until you come back. Pretty simple, I'll wait for you. So Gideon, verse 19, went in and prepared a young goat, an unleavened bread from ephah of flour, the meat he had put in a basket, uh, the meat he put in a basket, and he put the broth in the pot, getting lost. And he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. And the angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. 
Then the angel of the Lord poured, uh, put out the end of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat of the unleavened bread. And fire rose out of the rock <clears throat> and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. So here's kind of a separate tangent, but um, it's all to do with faith and you know, having enough faith in the Lord. Um, so asking for a sign. And I've wondered this a lot, like, are we allowed to ask God, you know, for signs? You know, it's a fair question. Like, um, in in Matthew 12 and Matthew 16, God says, an evil, wicked generation seeks a sign. You know, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not going to ask God for anything, right? Um, But there's there's different, um, there's different connotations to that. So, I think there's certain ways that we ask God for a sign, and, and it all has to do with your motivation, right? Like everything else, it all has to do with where your heart's at. Um, for the Pharisees, um, they wanted a sign from God just to, ten, just to test him, right? They had no intention of believing him, right? If they saw fire come down from heaven, like I doubt they would believe, right? They had no intention of believing um, in who Jesus was. Um, plus, no one knew that God's word better than the Pharisees, so they knew right, the scriptures and everything that lined up perfectly that all points to Jesus being the Messiah, but they still rejected it, right? So they asked for a sign from this place of already knowing God's word and already, um, you know, just acting from a place of hypocrisy and arrogance. And Jesus, you know, based in a, summer, a summary of what Jesus said on multiple occasions is just, I am the Messiah, but you won't believe it, you know? Your, your hearts are hard. And much of the time, I'm gonna take a, go on a limb here and say that's a lot of us. We ask God to speak when he's already spoken. We ask God for direction regarding things that are clear in his word. We ask, we ask before, you, <clears throat> before you ask God for wisdom, consider, consider this, have you been seeking God's will in his word? So are you in tune enough with God's word and have you looked at God's word before you ask God for this lightning bolt from the sky, Right? Because that doesn't really happen, right? And it's not because God can't do it. It's because he's already given us a book with everything we need to know. That's awesome, right? And that's something that you know, most people haven't had for most of like, the history of the world, but we have access to that. So before you ask God for a sign, look in his word, right? And be saturated and filled with the word of God. And what's cool about God is that his desire is that we are so saturated in God's word and so full of his Holy Spirit that the, the decision we need to make um, in line with his will will already make those automatically because we're so full of him, right? Uh, Psalm 37, basically, uh, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So when you enjoy Jesus and when you love the things he loves and want the things that he wants by spending time with him, everything you want is what God wants, so every decision you make will be on par with what God wants because you have his desires. That's awesome. Isaiah 30, same thing. If you're in tune with the Holy Spirit, he'll, he'll direct your paths left and right. That being said, there are a lot of decisions in life that aren't laid out in scripture, like the who's and the, and the where's and the what's and the how's and what job, who I marry, etc. And there are a lot of these um, and I think an important question for us to ask is, when's the last time you asked God to confirm an important life decision in his word? Because he will, and it's amazing. And, and it's happened on so many occasions for me by just seeking Jesus. Ask him to confirm something in your life that you struggle with. 
Because if you seek him, he will answer. That's a promise in scripture. That's something God guarantees that if you seek me with all your heart and your soul, I will answer you and hear from heaven. And it says that in, in Chronicles and in Deuteronomy and so many other places in the scripture. But God will answer if you seek him in his word guaranteed. Jeremiah 33, 3 says this too, that um, <clears throat> call to me and I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things you don't know. That when we seek God, something powerful happens as we become more and more in tune with the spirit. Verse 22. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, which is who? Jesus, there we go. So Gideon said, alas, I have seen... <clears throat> Or, alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you, do not fear, you shall not die. So, right, Gideon responds in fear, which is normal in the Bible, but still, you know, he responds in fear, like we've said. Um, Also, I forgot to mention that Gideon needs, like, three different signs from God before he does anything. Like, it's kind of funny. Kind of reinforces that, uh, you know, that fearful thing that we are talking about earlier. Like, Gideon's kind of a a scared guy, Um, but God still, I love that. God still said, mighty man of valor. It's awesome. Where was I? Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Verse 23. Then the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear, you shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. To this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. So the Lord is peace. Gideon's struggle was fear, right? His struggle was um, getting cold feet, right? He was afraid of the Midianites. He was afraid of his family even, as we'll see later. It's awesome. It's just, all this comes together. I love God's word. Um, Gideon's struggle was fear. Um, so as we leave tonight, I, I think it's important that we ask, like, what, what's your thing, you know? Like Gideon's was fear, right? Some of you is anger, um, some of you is just being sad and depressed all the time. Some of you it's weakness. Uh, some of you it's addiction. Some of you it's laziness or gluttony. But to all of those things, God says, luckily for you, I am a God of kindness for those who are angry. I'm a God of joy for those who are sorrowful. I'm a God of strength for those who feel weak. I'm a God of freedom for those who are addicted. Your insufficiency is an opportunity to be filled with God's eternal sufficiency. Verse 25. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has. You guys ever wonder why Pastor Rob pronounces it like that and then other people pronounce it like Baal? I never know what to pronounce that like. Is it Baal or Baal? Baal, okay. So you guys think about that too. Cool. Awesome. <clears throat> so Baal, or Baal, it really doesn't matter. I was just wondering. The altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord. Maybe it's because when you're a kid, it's easier to say Baal instead of Baal. Maybe I think that's it. Because that's, that's where I learned. I learned Baal instead of Baal. Uh, <laughs> that your father has and cut down on the wooden image that is beside it. Verse 26 and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement and take the second bowl and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. Verse 23. Sorry, 27. So Gideon took 10 men from among his servants. I love that. 
Note that Gideon took 10 men, first thing he did from among his servants, and did as the Lord had said to him. Because he feared, but because he feared his father's household. You guys see that? Fear. I love it. It's, it's all lined up. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. That's awesome. That's hilarious to me. I don't know. Mighty man of valor. So Gideon took 10 men. Discipleship was never meant to be ver- just vertical. Of course it's vertical, but it's not meant to be just vertical, right? It's never meant to be just you and God, right? It starts there. It has to start there. No man can get you to God. It starts there with you and Jesus, but it's never meant to stop there. Uh, Matthew 28, we all know the verse, therefore go, and this is straight from the words of Jesus, therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing um, them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I command you. That's discipleship horizontal discipleship. And God intends for all of us to empower, encourage, and strengthen others. Another place, it's also when you prepare a sermon, you can't not be convicted just out of your mind um, because God's words does that. It reads you and changes your life. But, so God really convicted me here in this area <clears throat> as he did before. I hope he does the same for you. But, there are a lot of people I've given up on, a ton of people, um, people in high school, people in college, um, family, friends, a lot of people I tried ministering to for a while, but it became too heartbreaking. It became so hard to keep ministering to them. Like there's just nothing harder, so I couldn't deal with it, so I, I gave it up, and I said, God, would you, would you deal with this person and save them? People who I led to the Lord, and they were on fire for the season, but they left the faith, Right? There's several of those that I, I think about all the time. People have been Christians their whole lives and should get it, but they don't. They love the world. That, that, one, that one hurts me the most. Christians that should get it, they've heard the gospel their whole lives, but they end up rejecting Jesus anyways. And most of us can relate to the experience of a broken heart over people we love rejecting Christ and rejecting us. Like we can all relate to that. Um, and it hurts and it's painful. Um, but if we look at it through the eyes of God, or rather God showed me, when God kind of showed me this, uh, this part of the message, he, he let me into his heart a little bit. Um, and we cannot fathom the agony of God's heart. Just, we talked about the sin cycle of, in the, in the book of Judges, seeing God's chosen people rebel and repent and rebel and repent and rebel and repent over and over and over again, that, that doesn't feel good for God. That hurts. And just like it hurts us, it hurts God even more so. And when Jesus saw Jerusalem, he wept over the city. When, Jesus, uh, when Lazarus died, Jesus wept over just this reality that you know, death is real and death is here. And it wasn't how I intended it to be. The heart of God breaks over the rebellion of his people. But the hope, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Yes, he is. Not wishing that any should perish, but all that should, but that all should come to repentance. Thank you, Lord. Yet, in all that, God pursues. He pursues us. And I love this, to tie it back to you know, Gideon and weakness and the eyes of God, that he pursues, he never, ever stops fighting for our hearts because he knows who we're supposed to be, right? He sees that. 
He sees the world as he can make it. He sees you as a perfected creature in him. That's awesome that God sees you with this lens. And that's why it breaks his heart because he sees people totally not live up to their potential and it breaks his heart. He sees us how we're supposed to be. That there isn't supposed to be any fear, any anger. There isn't supposed to be any anxiety or depression. There's not supposed to be any lust or apathy. So do we see with God's eyes? That's the question for tonight. Do we look at a sinner and think of what God wants to do for them, through them? Do we look at a family member who for years has rejected the Lord and rejected every opportunity you've had to talk to them about Jesus? They've rejected it. Do you still see them through the eyes of God? That God wants to save them and redeem them and make them new. Do you see that? Now, <clears throat> you can't win them all, right? Like not everyone's going to heaven. Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to salvation, but wide is the path that leads to destruction. Sometimes we need to wipe the dust off of our feet. Sometimes we need to say, Jesus, this one's yours. Like, I, I, I cannot anymore. Um, and I believe there are absolutely times where that's necessary and, and God, you know, God honors that. Like, you know, you, you've, you've done your part in this person's life. But are you even trying to win one person? You know? Like, that's good for a few or even a lot of people if, if you minister a lot of people, but are you trying to even do that with one? So make disciples. Ask God, and we're going to do that before we close tonight, to ask God for the Holy Spirit that we can see ministry opportunities through his eyes. Amen? I love this part of the verse. Um, it says, and he did, as the Lord had said to him, but because he feared, <laughs> he did it by night. Uh, so don't worry, I'm not going to give Gideon a hard time again. I think we're, we're good on that. Um, I'm actually going to pull up the good stuff this time about what your role is if, you know, if, you know, you're that hobbit that really doesn't have a ton of purpose or a ton of ability, then what is your role? That's what we'll finish with. So Gideon is not courageous, as we've seen, but thankfully, that's not what God needs, right? God doesn't need you to be awesome because you're not, right? He doesn't need you to be. All God requires is a willingness to obey. And that's it. Boom. That's all he needs. And I thank God that faith and the obedience it provokes is all that is needed um, to, be affected for his, to be effective for his kingdom. Otherwise, we'd all be in really bad shape. So thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So... All that being said, we're going to close. <clears throat> we're pretty good on time. I'm impressing myself. So I'm going to read John 20, 11 through 18. We'll close with um, this last story. John chapter 20, chapter 20, verse 11. But Mary stood, Mary Magdalene, this is after Jesus was crucified and was in his tomb. Um, and after uh, the disciples and Mary and everyone went in and saw his clothes, but his linens from his death, but didn't know where he was. So Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. 
They said to her, what are, then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord and do not know where they have laid him. Quick observation. Almost everyone in the Bible, people are just terrified when they see angels. Just like struck, like with awe, just super scared, not knowing what's going on. Like, what is this crazy spiritual thing that I can see, but isn't, you know, it's like, like metaphysical. I'm confused. It's scary. It's amazing to me that Mary was so sad that she wasn't even scared a little bit. She was so heartbroken over Jesus' death and his disappearance that she just, there was no fear there. I imagine her eyes were just completely clouded in tears. She couldn't see, I bet, but she wouldn't open her eyes because she was so sorrowful of the death of her Savior. Verse 14 says, Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. So either she was really strong or she was just delusional, right? Because Jesus was probably, you know, he was a big guy, right? He was a fully grown man. Like she wouldn't have just take it, like carried his body away. So interesting observation. <clears throat> so again, she's really sad. That's my point. She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him and said, Rabboni, Rabbi, Rabboni, <clears throat> teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. I love this passage because I love the heart of Jesus. And it blows my mind that the first person Jesus chooses to reveal himself to after he died was this woman of all people, a woman who had been possessed seven times with demons, who suffered severe, severe illness, who was likely a prostitute. Um, we don't know for sure, but uh, a lot of people... Um, uh, a lot of people say that she was the woman who was going to be stoned, but Jesus said, if any of you without sin, let him first be the first one to throw a stone at her. Uh, we don't know for sure, but for our purposes, purposes, we'll say that, you know, that was her. She was adulterous. So a poor, likely adulterous woman with no husband or family, a long, dark history of illness, demon possession, and likely prostitution, weeping over the death of the only one who ever saw anything more on her than her sin. That was why she was so heartbroken because Jesus saw in her what no one else could see. That everyone else, when everyone else rejected her and saw nothing more than a loser, Jesus said, child. Jesus said, redeemed. Jesus said, saint. Jesus saw her with his eyes. Jesus picked, and even more crazy than that, like Gideon, Jesus picks this woman to bear and proclaim the single most important message in all of history, Jesus is alive. That's powerful. And that is the heart of God. And that's what the eyes of God is. That's how God sees us. So we're going to close. <clears throat> Let's pray together. Let's just ask for new vision. Let's ask God for his eyes, for his Holy Spirit to see the world, to see people how he sees them. 
And even, even more than that, to ask God to see ourselves how he sees us. So with this still knowledge of our sin and still this willingness to repent, but more than that, even that we see how God sees us, that the work he wants to do through us. And that's possible. Like we can see with God's eyes and see the world through his eyes. So let's pray that God would uh, give us his eyes and show us his awesome redemptive story in our lives. Lord, first of all, we want to thank you, God, for God calling us out of where we were. Lord, none of us like to remember that, God, the, the state we were in before we knew you. Lord, none of us enjoy talking about our weaknesses, Lord, our trials, our struggles, our mistakes. God, the things that we are most ashamed about. Lord, none of us enjoy talking about those things or even thinking about them. But God, even though you, you know, Lord, who we are, God, you know that there's nothing good in us. Lord, you know that in our flesh dwells no, no good thing. Lord, you know all this. God, you haven't forgotten, Lord. You're not unaware of our sin, but Lord, God, would you help us understand the depth and the height and the width of your love? God, that you love us more than we can even imagine. God, that your eyes pierce into the soul. God, that your, your eyes save, Lord, and they, they take a broken, broken person, God, and, and, they, and, they lift, and you lift them up, God, and you, you give them meaning, you give them purpose, you give them mission. That that's our God, Lord. That's, that's an amazing reason to rejoice. Lord, and that's why we worship you, God. That's why we love you, Lord, because you first loved us and gave yourself for us. God, because you saw what we couldn't see. So, Father, I pray that as we leave this place, Lord, in every area we go to, God, our workplace, our family, Lord, our, our alone time with you, God, our friend group, um, God, our communities, Lord, God, would you help us to see the bigger picture, God, of your redemptive, awesome story for every single part of our lives, God. Lord, that you have something amazing that you want to do in our, in our work. God, you have something amazing you want to do in our family. And Father, all that is needed is a willingness to obey and hear your voice and do what you say. So God, we love you. Father, give us, a, give us vision, Lord, now. Give us wisdom as we, as we lead tonight. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your love, God. It's why we're here, Lord. It's why we gather. So Holy Spirit, um, God, pick us up from whatever struggles we came in here with, God, whatever mistakes we're um, just bummed out from, God, and, and remove those in Jesus' name. God, I pray that like Gideon, Lord, you would remove the fear in this room in Jesus' name. God, that you would give us a new purpose, Lord, and, and empower us. And um, God, bless every person in here as we go out. Lord, we love you. God, we praise you for all your goodness and your faithfulness. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen, guys. Awesome. Let's give a hand for the Lord.